Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. We are the boys in white and blue, and we are back for another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And what a show we have for you this week. I didn't think this was ever going to happen again. I'm having a podcast where I'm talking about a team winning a game that uh, I I follow and I'm doing the podcast for. It's been a woeful season for East Fife. It's been a woeful season for the Whitecaps. But today, it was all worthwhile because there's no tears like Toronto tears. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this show. We're going to be delving into the big Canadian derby, the only Canadian derby, some may say. Those people would be wrong. But we'll be chatting about that game at at BC Place on Sunday afternoon. We'll be looking ahead to the Canadian Championship. Is it a crunch game? Is it a must-win for Vanni Sartini? Did the win against TFC buy him a little bit of time? We'll chat about all that as Valor FC head to Vancouver on Wednesday for what should be a fascinating game as Phil DeSantis heads back to the city. We'll be looking at the big MLS news of the week, which was, of course, Seattle Sounders becoming the first MLS club to lift the CONCACAF Champions League. And can I have a little chat about the, the difference trajectory-wise between Seattle and Vancouver since they've joined MLS. Two teams that were very evenly matched for many a year in in various leagues. We'll be chatting about can the Whitecaps close the gap? Why did the gap get so big? Stuff like that as well. And then we'll round things off with a little chat about some other things in Canadian football. We'll be talking League One BC. We'll be talking Central League One. All for the greater good of Canadian football. Of course, we'll have a lot of music for you on the show as well. Our Arts of the Month, Horse Girl, we'll have a song from then. And we'll have a couple of other songs as well. But that is all my my blethering to start with. Let's kick things off by looking at the Whitecaps' big three points at BC Place on Saturday afternoon. Vancouver Whitecaps won. 
Toronto FC nil. I meant to actually wear my my highwayman's mask for the show because I, I don't know if Vanny Sartini is going to go dressed as Dick Turpin for Halloween this year. But I think TFC maybe have a case to argue that it was a, a little bit of highway robbery. We'll get into all of that. Let's just get your initial thoughts coming out of this one, Steve. Big three points for the Whitecaps. What did you make of the match? Uh, Much needed uh, three points, obviously, for the Whitecaps. Uh, biggest takeaway for me was that the Whitecaps need to work on sh- their shooting. Like, they had so many opportunities inside and outside the box, and the 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 paltry way they kicked the ball towards the net made Alex Bono... I, like, I don't think he worked very hard, but you might get a sore back from having to bend over to pick up those balls every, like, once in a while. So, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway. But overall, they... I. A lot of people say they stole a win, but at this point, based on the talent on the team, they got to steal wins. That's the only way they're going to get points. I mean, I would say they were the better team. I think they did deserve to come away from the, the game if you base it on yeah, overall play. Yes. But yeah, there's a couple of big talking points and a couple of big uh, fine line moments of the match that, that we will get to. Is that- I, I, actually, I want to, sorry, I want to back up a little bit. Um, talent, one thing, but how they're using the talent. That's what I want to say. Like the the way they're using the talent, they're going to have to steal a lot of points this season. Yeah. I mean, Zach, they headed into this one. We we spoke about it on the show. For me, it was at minimum from these three home games, they had to take seven points. Ideally, they needed to take nine. They've got off to a good start. Three from three so far. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's all about Sartini's 11. And I'm not talking about the starting lineup. It's like, it's like Ocean's Eleven. They literally robbed. Uh, they robbed the victory uh, from the jaws of uh, of a draw. Uh, I mean, they they your, are very. Your Toronto is showing. No, no, no. I'm I'm not. I, I grew up in the Toronto area, but I'm not pro TFC at all. Um, I I think I'm objective in, in saying that uh, TFC should have had one goal, and really they should have had two goals. But I mean, halfs yes. on them. Halfs on them. Halfs on. Uh, officiating but no like yeah the, the white caps are very very fortunate and, and i'll say that uh you know we've talked for what a 500 plus episodes and i'd say it feels like more often than not um we've talked about the white caps being on the uh unfortunate end of officiating calls uh over the over the years um so I'm, i know that uh, their fans and supporters will 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 take this to maybe balance the the uh, the scales of justice out over the course of time oh no 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 this is not even close to balancing at this point over the like the lack of calls we've had over the oh, okay years. towards balancing oh, not, yeah. not, not totally it's a, it's a small step and vanny sartini touched on it post game as well that there's been a lot of calls going against him he's happy that everything went in their favor in the end today but we'll come to those talking points as we go through the game. We're not going to break down the game as much as usual because I think some of the big talking points are going to take a little bit of time. But for this game, Vanny Sartini rang the changes. Six changes to the starting lineup. Ryan Gold, thankfully back from his concussion. Not fully up to the Ryan Gold of last year yet, but a very good showing for from him today. Also, great to see Eric Godoy back in the, the defence as well and looking very solid. And we'll, we'll touch on both those players as well. 
the other big change. Finally, we went back to four at the back. Jake Nowinski as a left back, not 100% sold on that, but he didn't do too bad out there. He had a few issues early on in the game because he was slipping a lot on the sides. I don't know if that was the pitch or if it was his footwear or whatever, but pretty solid. And Javain Brown as the, the other fullback, I thought had an excellent game as well, particularly in the second half. Uh, it's funny that both Mark DeSantos and Benny Sartini very publicly talked about how Jake Nowinski is not a fullback in MLS. He's a center back or a side center back. And that Jake started the game as a fullback on his off offside. Um, I think a, aside from a couple of slips, I th- actually thought he did quite well defensively, mm-hmm. but I also felt like he offered little to nothing going forward. I Where- think that was the plan though, because when I when I spoke to Vanny after the game, I mentioned because me and him have had some fun conversations about going to four at the back, and I mentioned that, and it's like I like to call it three point five. He said because the way that yeah. they were looking when they were defending, it was a, a back four, but then they wanted to be more aggressive, and it was obviously Javain Brown was the guy that they wanted to to be taking the ball forward allow yeah. Ryan Gold to come into the middle and then falling when they were in attack to that back three. So Jake yeah. was technically a centre-back in that. Yeah, that, that yeah I, would, I would call it a false four at the back instead oh, of a false I like, nine. I like so that. That's better than 3.5, yeah. 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 It, uh, it was weird, though, to me, too, because TFC, I think, knew that Brown was going to be the attacking one. There were, It was weird because there was multiple times because I don't think... He, I, I don't think I kind of disagree with you, Mike. I don't think Brown had a really great game, especially he had a good was, second half. Well, but in the second half, there was multiple times where TFC literally just backed off and gave him free space to roam forward or free space to put in a. Well, crop. yeah, but he still has to do something with it. He sent some dangerous no, crosses. I, but that that balls, his balls weren't quality. But, uh, I'm, no, I'm I'm kind of with Zach though. I I kind of with Zach. I, there were a couple of moments I recall with with Brown where he looked a little iffy defending too. I, I can't remember who he was up against, but he there was a couple moments where he wasn't sure what he was doing. It wasn't horrible because it didn't lead to anything, but uh, I was concerned about it for a couple and, times. And Michael, the, those those crosses that came to nothing are even worse when you factor. There was two of them. I forget what minutes they were in, but there was two of them, and they're even worse when you factor in the fact that he actually had tons of space that he could have attacked or used in a more effective way. Instead of crossing it in. I I still think he had a a good start to the second half, at least. I maybe need to watch. I watched some of the game back when I I got home tonight. Uh, I maybe need to watch a little bit more then. I don't know what you see. What can you expect, though, when you have a a fullback who they want to play at centre-back and a centre-back who's mostly centre-back and they want to play him as an attacking fullback, yeah, it's like well. like like you you. It's going to be hard for them to. I don't know how long, how many years it takes to adjust. I know in FIFA it takes like three hundred and fifty weeks or something to make that position change. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that's a, the ongoing round peg square hole for the White yeah. I don't Steve, get it at all, Steve. The, the whole game, I actually had this in my mind. I, I I was just thinking about when I was thinking about Brown. I was thinking about is this whole season going to be like a sophomore slump? Like, or is he yeah. going to be able to break the funk and actually step, like, mm. progress? I thought this was for one me, of his better games for this season. I'm assuming Goody is still uh, on demand, yeah. right? Because yeah, that's because otherwise he'd be number one choice as a fullback, especially attacking wise. Well, who knows now with the the addition of Louis Martins 
Uh, well, then you put both of them on the pitch. Yeah, it's can. like going to be interesting to see who wins. If they go to a flat back four, whether they play Martins or whether they play Guti when he's fit. Now, much was made about the fact that TFC were missing eight players for this game. And they played a lot of young guys, which is the makeup of their squad outside uh, their key starters. They've gone young. They've gone to try and develop and experiment a little bit and bring these guys through. So, yeah, TFC were missing eight players. The Whitecaps were missing six, and they were missing some key guys in there as well. So that definitely should not be overlooked. Because well, no, I've seen a lot of comments, right. though, saying, oh, TFC were missing eight players. Yeah, yeah the Whitecaps were missing guys too. Well, the violins were playing at the end of the game uh, when Luke Wildman was winding up the, you know, in the 90th or injury time about this whole thing. Like it was constantly mentioned about how they're, they, you know, they're missing eight players. And we're missing. You're right. We're missing six players. We're also missing a couple of players they should have signed during the off season as well that yeah. they never signed. So yes. that's it as well. Yeah. I, I shut off that in post game. I didn't listen to any of that. Oh, I had. I didn't either. Yeah, I. I am going to, but I didn't get. Oh, actually, no. no it wasn't. No, I, it wasn't I, even it. No, it wasn't in post game. It was as the game was winding down oh, that they were. He oh. was mentioning it over and over again. Because I, I forgot to PVR the game, and I remembered once the game started. And the great thing about Telus Optic is you can just set it from your phone. So I went in and hit record, but I didn't add on extra minutes to get the the post game stuff. So I missed that. But anyway. Into the game itself, we won't delve too much into the ins and outs, as I mentioned, but the, the early going, the Whitecaps, for me, looked a slightly better team. They they had some chances. Diber Caicedo, I thought this was one of his best games in a long time. He looked lively, having Dahomey finally playing with him in attack, which is what I've been wanting to see was great as well. Having Gold there linking up well with him, I, I liked what I saw from Diber. Did you guys both not feel that Dajo and Caicedo might have benefited from swapping spots? Yeah. That's yeah. the one thing I didn't get about that. No, I, I do agree with that. I think Caicedo in the wing might have been a bit more impactful because um, we've seen Dahomey finishing good through the middle. But, I mean, Caicedo, he had a chance in the sixth minute that it, it was saved and then smothered before Dahomey could get in. And then... He slipped in gold that had a chance that Bono saved again as well. But the Whitecaps had been the better team. So the, the first yeah. big talking point of the game came just after the half-hour mark, the penalty incident. Now, when I was watching this live in the stadium and the ball came in and it, it hit the arm of Ranko, I, I said at the time, it, it to me, it looked a clear, a clear penalty. I, I said, oh, that's handball. That's going to get called Same. back. Yeah. And it was only because, like, Ranko didn't know much about it, but his arm just, it simply wasn't in a natural position. Uh, so a non-natural position, even yeah. though, yeah, he wasn't, he didn't mean to. That's what yeah, so, I mean, there, there was no doubts about that at all. So, yeah, folk might say, oh, Toronto got the, the VAR call for that. Yeah, because it, it was correct. So, that, that's why they got that. But then, you've got your DP Pesuelo who obviously wasn't meant to start today. He was a late call-up after a, a scratch before the the game. I can't remember who it was that went out in the in the starting eleven, and then Pesuelo came in. And you you look at that lineup of Jimenez and Pesuelo, and you're like, eek, this is going to be a, a test for that back line. So Pesuelo gets his chance, 35th minute, horrible penalty. I mean, well done, Thomas Asal. You've still got to save it. Yeah. Horrible penalty. I think I could have saved that. 
Now, now I, I want to mention this. Like, I had to use the facilities while this was all going on. So I just I did miss initially the uh, the handball, but then when they called the penalty, I was I was thinking to myself, okay, if it goes in, uh, this is my talking point on the show. I go, you know, it's a tough thing to save a penalty, but sometimes you just got to come up with the save. And then obviously I heard the save happen, and then I finally rewinded it, and then I saw, oh, oh, that was a shit penalty. Kick, yeah. right? I was like, well, of course this is going to be saved by him. It would be hard for us all not to save it, but he still made the right call to go to the right spot. And I think he, what he did was he did read uh, the way Pasuelo lined up where the ball was going to go. Actually, so that, I think I think Pasuelo gave it away and Masol yeah, made the right call on that's, it. That's yeah. a good point, actually. I should give Hassel credit for that because he could easily have gone the other way and that's shit yeah. penalties it was, it would have trickled into the net. But the, the, but the credit for Hassel is actually what he did was he waited. He yeah. didn't commit. He waited and read. And so Pasuelo, what he did wrong was, one, I, I, I almost always do not like short run-ups right yeah um Same. There, there there are a few people who i don't know if you i don't know if either you remember um giuseppe signori he used to do like no run-up he like plant his foot he turned his body and then he shoot yeah i don't like that either. I, I, I hate <laughs> i hate stuff like that um but uh yeah the short run-up i think doesn't help him and then he yeah he tele he telegraphs it once or sorry he tries to outweigh us all when he realizes hastal's totally gonna read him he just right. says, "Okay, I'm going to put it to the, I'm going to put it to this side," and it was but easy he, for us all to read. And it was, but he had his, power, he had no his pace. yeah, he had his yeah. foot open too to go to that yeah. side as well. The, the way his foot was open, you knew the ball was going that way. I yeah, mean, he didn't even disguise, he didn't even dis- disguise it by opening his no. foot and then whipping it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Immediately when they showed the replay, I was looking to see where Hassel's foot was on the line because I thought, "Oh, he's yeah. come a little bit off the line," but no. No, he kept it on the line. It was perfect. Yeah, he kept one foot on there. One foot went forward. Yeah, perfect. Of the horrible plays in the game, this was my bronze medal for horrible. Yes, you've got a bronze, a silver, and a gold, and and an honorable mention. Yeah, I mean the rest of the first half, both teams had a couple of half chances. Second half, Caps started strong. I mean, they really they took the game to to TFC. TFC, I don't know what their halftime team talk was, but they just. As you said, Zach, they sat back and they just let Brown and others run at them. And the White Caps. 10 were, 15 minutes, I think. Yeah. White Caps were very good in transition. They were good at moving the ball, which is something they haven't been good at for a lot of this season. Dahomey had a chance. Gold had a header. Uh, Brown sent in a, a great cross that, for me, Brian White, that diving head in the 56th minute, oh. you've got to get that on target. Yeah. That. That's just, I know it's a diving header and it's coming at you at pace, but at least make the keeper make a save. It was well wide. But then, talking point of the match for sure. 66th minute. Before we get into it, a quick goal or no goal from each of us. Should it have counted Steve? Based on the rules that MLS implies, yes, uh, it should not have been counted. Uh, but I believe it probably, like, based on what the rules should be, it it should be a goal. Based on based on the laws of the game, it's a goal. For me, I think it was a goal, and I think the Whitecaps they dodged a bullet, but it was a very bittersweet bullet because it obviously cost Thomas Asal uh, an injury in it as well. So the way that the, the this played out. DeAndre Kerr hit the byline, sent a ball into the box, which Hassal 
at first I thought it was a good save. Um, but when I saw it back, I was like, I, I don't know why he's parrying that out right in front of goal because it's the worst place he could have possibly put it. Now, I'm not saying that he necessarily could have just caught it or whatever, but I it, it wasn't great because he just put it straight into the path of Pesuelo. And we talk about Pesuelo having a, a weak shot for the penalty. He didn't seem to get enough power on this either. And Hassal fantastic recovery just to, to get himself into the position to save that and the ball spills out then Jaden Nelson comes in Hassal puts his hand out and at first when I saw the first couple of replays in the stadium I didn't think Nelson made any contact with Hassal at all I still don't know if it was Jaden Nelson's foot that has caused a hand injury to Hassal, or if it's Nelson kicking the ball, and the, the ball hitting Hassal's hand that has caused the injury. But I know Steve's going to argue that Hassal's hand was on the ball, and from one angle, it does look like his hand is on the ball. But I yeah, don't think he's in control of it to, to cause that play to get ruled out. And I actually have... Um, we just got sent this before recording because the, there's a pool reporter that sends a, a question to the, the pro referees. Um, that was the question that was asked to the pro referee team after the match as to why they disallowed the goal. So this is their official written response for, from referee Rivas and pro. The match official deemed that Vancouver FC's number one, Thomas Hassau, had gained control of the ball prior to the challenge by Toronto FC's number 11, Jaden Nelson. As a result, Vancouver FC was awarded a direct free kick. Well, that's, I mean, that's obviously false. He did not, definitely did not have control of the ball. I, I, I'm with you, Michael, in terms of I'm not sure what caused the injury. My, my first instinct, and based on watching the replays multiple times, is that it's actually Nelson striking the ball that, uh, and, and the force of the ball that causes Hustal to be injured but it could be the follow-through. But regardless, to me, it's clearly a goal, clearly and obviously a goal. No, well, the thing is, like I, like I said, MLS protects their goalies. They have done that in the past. There has been incidents where a goalie's been stepped on, even if it was a slight step and a, a player was sent a red card. So they will always protect a goalie. The, if they deemed that the hand was on the ball, which it looked like, like Michael said, from an angle or two, uh, that means they consider it control. And it, the the foul was for not the Nelson making contact with the with Hassal's hand. The foul was the fact that he had control, and that's why uh, and the ball was taken out. That's what the foul was for. If it was a foul for kicking his hand, they probably would have given him a yellow at that point. I don't think it was for that. I think it's harsh. But, no, I do. I do too. I'll, I'll just say that I think I don't. I personally don't think he had control, but in their eyes, they ha he has control because his yeah. hands on the ball. So my, my silver medal for horrible plays in the game is the referee's call on the field, but my gold medal for horrible plays is the fact that VAR did not uh, did not uh, uh, correct the error on the field. Like to me, it's it's it, I, and I would say it doesn't matter. I don't care what team it is. If it was the other way, I would say the exact same thing. This is my. I, I, I don't know that you can blame Revis too much though, because he was a bang bang play. out and he would have yeah. thought, oh. And yeah. it, the way that Hassal reacted as well, it looks like, oh, he's gone straight through him and kicked him. 
No, and then, so and then Beavis is good. I, I think is, he's calling the field is wrong. And the fact that VAR didn't correct it and is then, wrong, in my opinion. And then, and then the thing is, Revis is going to say, I, I think he's got his hand on the ball to the uh, a VAR official. And if it, if the VAR official sees it, and if he saw that angle that we all saw from behind the net, uh, if, if he sees the hand on the ball, that's not clear and obvious at that point. And that's why it's not called yeah, back. I don't know. You can, argue, you can argue it all you want about it not being the correct call, but there, how many times in the past have there not been correct calls on the pitch? It happens all the time. Yeah, but that's the whole point of VAR is to get these things right. And to it's me, it's not clear and obvious, Zach. You can't know, call I, it clear and obvious, Steve. For me, it's so, totally clear and obvious. Totally clear and obvious. If you if you were the VAR official and you had called that back, you probably would have been sanctioned or whatever they do to VAR officials for making the wrong call. Well, <laughs> I, I genuinely can't wait for instant replay this week just to get uh, an outsider's take, like some Americans watching it, just to, to just just to see what they think. It all depends on who the second person is. If they're a goalkeeper, they'll probably say, yes, it was a foul. And if there wasn't a goalkeeper, if it's a striker, they'll say, no, it wasn't a foul. That's probably how it would run now. Bob Bradley, obviously, was not a happy man after the, the incident. I will read you his post-game quote just now. So he was asked about the, the non-call on the goal or the, the disallowment of the goal. So what he said was, it's a mistake. And obviously, when you have VAR, that's on the VAR to see it. It's clear. Everybody that's seen it realises that Hassal never had control. It's too bad. I think they say he might have a broken or dislocated finger, and that's too bad. I don't know exactly. That might have been then on the shot as the ball came loose. But he never had control. It's a good goal, and the system fails. You know, you can have a system... But if the person responsible in that moment can't see that, then the system doesn't work. So we'll have to see what Pro has to say about it. But for me, it's a clear mistake. He, yeah, I, he's he's Bob Bradley's absolutely right in this case. And I and I don't like to agree with Bob Bradley. I mean, I I just want to make it clear. I think it should have stood. I think the the Whitecaps dodged the bullet. It's a bittersweet bullet, as I said, because Hassal is now injured. So, breaking news, although it probably won't be breaking news by the time that this podcast comes out, but we have had confirmation from the Whitecaps that Thomas Hassal has sustained a left middle finger injury. He will be seeing a specialist this week and a more refined timeline will be provided following that. So, not terrible news right now, but not sounding great. Let's just hope he is back soon and wish Thomas all the the very best for a speedy recovery. So we don't know yet if it's broken, if it's dislocated. Don't want to speculate on that at all. Uh, His fingers were in splints after the game Vanni Sertini commented on. So we'll, we'll know more once this comes out. Hopefully it isn't too bad, it isn't broken because we saw what that did with Max Cropot and how that's cost him over the years. At first, when I first saw it, I was very worried because I thought he'd been kicked in the head. And obviously with Thomas having that previous concussion, I was like, oh, let's hope it's not that. But then it was the hand injury. So not ideal from that point of view from the, the Whitecaps perspective. But Cody Cropper came in and didn't have any time to think about stuff, was called into action almost immediately. Fantastic, sprawling, one-handed save that, for me, 
is probably going to be up there for our AFTN Save of the Season award. And I don't know much about Cody Cropper and his career up to this point. Whether if Hassal ends up being out for a long period of time, he's the guy that you can have faith in, I don't know. But on his showing today, he, he made a couple of good stops and he looked pretty solid in, in that last 20 minutes or so. Yeah, it was, no, it's, it was a nice save on the header. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's really tough. Other than center back, probably keeper is probably the hardest uh, position to sub on for. Um, yeah, you're coming just, in so cold. Cold, also uh, the 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 communications and everything like that. Setting that up, that that takes sometimes that doesn't happen just like in the first minute of a game, and it could take time. So yeah, uh, and and so I think I think it's uh, probably props to him. Uh, but overall, I I don't know who got the uh, gentleman of the match or whatever they call it now. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I didn't see that. Let me have a quick huh. check just now. GE Appliances Player of Quality. Oh, okay, there you go. And it, it went to Thomas Hassel. Cool. I, I, guess, I guess he deserved I guess they gave yeah. it to him because of the penalty and everything. Well, like that. penalty, and then there was that, if you want to call it and a double couple, save, but definitely. Double the, save, yeah. Yeah, definitely save that got him injured. So Double save, broken finger save. <laughs> yes. Up wait, to this wait, point, it looked wait. like it was going to finish 0 0. It was going to be a share of the, the points. I mean, did. Did you feel either team were going to get the winner by this point? I, I thought, uh, I thought honestly, I thought Toronto would bounce back and try to because they were ticked off. I thought they would have put more pressure on and gotten the goal. I was, I was thinking Toronto was going to take it at that point. Yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, thought that there was going to be a winner. Uh, I, I, I didn't feel strongly either way, but I felt like that this game is not going to end zero zero. Uh, I also find it funny that you called it a a, a, a double save when obviously you didn't save it, but. Well, well, I guess oh, that would be a triple save. Yeah, there was yeah, that, a double. There was it, a double. He did have a double, yeah. It was the cross. Yeah, and, uh, it was oh, the cross by the, the way, shot. by the way, the, probably the thing that pissed me off the most about that incident was the uh, Stephen Caldwell like calling. Oh uh, yes, uh, calling. Um, uh, what's his name now? I Thomas can't remember. He, he, he said just he left. He just left in this game. I've already forgot his name. Um, <laughs> no, the, um, how, how quick we forget. We're all Cody <laughs> Croppers now. Just, just go uh, with Carducci. Just go with Carducci. Yeah. Um, no, but he, he said he was play acting basically. Yeah. He, he, he called him play acting. And yeah. Then, I, then, I, he, then he then he started getting, like uh, like then he started going oh it's too bad what happened to him. Yeah, but, but he did not apologize for saying play yeah. acting. Now, I I tweeted this out and I know. People that listen to the show and stuff know that I, there's maybe not a lot of love lost for me with, with Stephen Caldwell as a commentator. But as someone that does commentary, the one thing you do not do is make such a rash call like that until you actually see all the stuff and you wait a little bit. And yeah. sometimes it's better not to say something like that at all. I'll be honest, when they scored, the thought went through my head of, oh, I wonder if Hassal's just saying that he got kicked there to try and, and earn the, the call. But I wouldn't tweet that out and I wouldn't put that out publicly. And if I was commentating in the match, I wouldn't say that because you're basically accusing a, a player of cheating. And then when that player then goes off with his hand all taped up, you don't then sound contrite about it. You apologise and go, I got that wrong. Uh, he obviously was not play acting. I just thought that was very bad by him. All, all I'll say is the uh, the, the volume uh, buttons are very useful. 
Yeah, I mean, usually if I'm watching the game at home, I have it down. But for this, I wanted to hear what their take on it was as obviously TFC-centric. I I personally think that the next time that they are known to come uh, West Coast to call a game, I say that's the best way to promote tickets. You know, come to the game or else you're going to have to listen to Stephen Caldwell and Luke Wildman on TV. Luke Luke Wildman doesn't actually like doesn't hate the Caps actually. No, I like Luke they, Wildman. They I think he's a great. No, I just I just said it because of their 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 the you know their partnership. Uh, and everything J- like that. Jason, you D- could say yes, you could say uh, Luke Col- uh, Stephen Caldwell by himself, but J- Jason Devos used to all the time, uh, not on the air probably, but used all the time uh, like tease Luke for saying he like. You know that he loves the white caps and like, oh, are you gonna wear your white caps kit to the game or all that, all that, all that kind of stuff? But yeah, yeah. Caldwell no, was think, a TFC player and whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, whatever, it, it's it's I I get it, but yeah, I I like Luke as a commentator though. I do want to to point that out. I think. But, I, but the I thing really is, is if you like, we have like Paul Dolan is a former white cap, or and and he does not he plays. He, Right down the line, basically, there's a very almost no bias. Yeah, when it comes I mean, to the Paul Dolan's, you can be disappointed, but when you're there as a neutral commentator, yeah, you should because be that's that a national that's a national broadcast, basically. Yeah, yeah it's it's not like one of the local broadcasting like like Corey on the radio. He can be biased and get all excited and stuff, and the same with whether it's Colin Miller or David Norman Senior as it was today. It was nice to catch up with David. I, I did the. The pre-game show with them, so it's nice to, to see David again. But let's get to the match-winning goal. It came in the 90th minute. It's raging on Twitter, of course, as to whether it should have counted or whether it should have been offside. And it's a tight decision. I'll definitely say it's a tight decision. But for me, this goal was onside. When I saw it in the stadium, I thought it was offside. When I saw the replay, I was like, that is too tight to to override it you cannot say that that's clear and obvious and when I've watched it when I've got home to St Ricketts is definitely on site let me let me say something else that you both disagree with um I I uh I thought it was offside when it happened like you Michael uh seeing the poor replays that we get on television here I thought it was a little bit inconclusive so necessarily clear and obvious which is understand why they didn't overturn it however I agree with people like Manu Veth on Twitter who have said it's ridiculous that MLS doesn't use the uh, the technologies we have available that help us to clearly uh, show this is a goal or not a goal. And, and I know, you mean the lines? Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. They they do it in Germany. Oh, they do it in this, I hate they, that. They, they, I know you. They, I know they, you hate it. Yeah. I know you hate it. <laughs> But it gives you a definitive. This was a. Yeah. This was no, no. This, the, this was this, this. This. You didn't need lines for this one. You I, could you tell did. where. No, you could tell where yeah. Tussan Ricketts foot is. It just. It, no, listen, listen now. The, the foot is right inside the line, just inside the line. The ball is further in. You could tell it by that, and there, it's a hundred percent a goal. The six yard box. Yes, in the six yeah, yard yeah. box, just yeah, inside yeah. the six. It's foot and the, and the ball's near the goalkeeper. So and he's he's way further in. So it's, yeah, it might be I, a, a foot difference. It's I'm not, not it's you don't need lines for this one. I'm not saying the lines would have overturned what happened in the, in this specific instance. I just think that if MLS is going to use happen. VAR, they should use the best technologies with VAR for especially in for for offside specifically. Otherwise, it's a bit of a joke if you're going to use VAR for offside and you're not not going to use that kind of technology. 
I think maybe one of the other reasons that I enjoy watching WFC 2 so much, apart from the fact that they win, we'll touch on that in the next part, is that there's no VAR and you're just watching the game as as it should be with human error. But the, the arguments will rage and because they're raging and we've got all these replays and stuff, it shows why VAR couldn't step in and overrule this because there was nothing that was clear and obvious. And I'm sure everything will rage on. But after to St. Ricketts thinking that he had got that goal in Montreal and then having it taken away, it was nice that he got a goal against another Canadian team and this time it did count and it did prove to be the match winner. And I, I think on this goal as well, that there's a lot of good things to talk about. It was another quick transition by the Whitecaps. Five passes... Russell Tiber plays the first one. Gold has two passes in the mix. But we've got to give credit to Lucas Cavallini. This was the good side of Lucas Cavallini. We saw the bad side of Lucas Cavallini, where he managed to pick up a booking in 55, 56 seconds of coming on, which even for him has to be a record. What an Without even touching ball. the ball. Without yeah. touching the ball. What an awful, awful attempt at a challenge. Yeah. I mean, like, that, that was a challenge that a split second different, and that was a red card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think I've said this before in the show. I've talked to football people who say his overall football intelligence is not very high, and, the, and, and he cannot defend. And you put those things together, and you get plays like that, and yeah, he... Yeah, he's very he's very fortunate. I think uh, he's he's the definition of a bull in a china shop. Like, yes. he, he, like he, that's that's him right there. Yeah, and, but a bull, but a bull in a china shop, you kill or you remove from the china shop and you don't let it back in the yeah. china shop. Yeah, he's being not that we're easily. not that. Just wait a second. Not that we're advocating Cavallini to be killed. No, just to let o- everybody orchestrated, know which they also no. do to the bills, but. But no, seriously, Zach, we have to say this stuff yeah, because there's people no, that I, people I, that I, comment that think that we're being serious. Yeah, but but seriously, like tanking a China shop would have been the way to go. Yeah, he, would have saved all that altogether. It's clear that his style of play yeah. is not is is not consistently helpful to his team. No, and he he does not he does not seem willing. He needs to make to, the adjustment he, he, he needs to make. Yeah, it's not consistent to MLS rules. Because he probably could get away with this in other leagues, I'm assuming. Oh, Liga, Liga MX, I think he would have got away with a lot of things, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's where I think like he's more effective in those kind of leagues. I think MLS, they're so overprotective of players. And I'm not saying that it wasn't a foul, it was a poor play. But I'm saying he's used to playing, I think he played in Uruguay before that. And I, I bet you he got away with a lot of stuff there as well. Yeah. So it's kind of in his mental t- frame that that's the way I'm going to play all the but time. But he also played in Uruguay before VAR, and I, I'm not sure about Mexico, but I think that was before VAR too. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a different world. You have to adjust. You're a professional footballer making incredible incredible amounts of money, and when when, when things it, change, you need to change with them. I, and the funniest thing was when he got the yellow card for the referee, it, it felt like the referee was like glaring at him and saying, are you effing kidding me? That you you did this like within he's right he's got a reputation it's a hundred percent he's got a reputation around the league because what pissed me off though was he seemed to find it very funny I I don't know if if that was shown on TV or not but he was laughing with one of the the TFC players after it and it's like that was reckless man yeah. it's not it's not a laughing matter yeah, but we I had agree, this debate I... on the pregame show is is he trying too hard 
because he's just trying to get this goal and trying to to show his value to the team. No, he's just he doesn't know how he doesn't know how to uh, press or tackle or defend, and so this is what you're seeing over and over again. Well, that that was the negative side of him, but on the goal. I thought Cavallini was excellent and his power and his build to hold off the TFC defenders. That's what we need to see more at. We need to see him running like a bull in a China shop towards the defence and then sending the ball across goal and somebody has to be there in the six yard box. But if it isn't Cavallini, one of the other strikers has to be. Today it was to St. Ricketts. It all ended very happily. The Whitecaps got three massive points and there is no understatement about how big this win was. And you saw what it meant to Vanni Sartini at the final whistle. He was on his knees and I was watching both head coaches at the final whistle from the press box to see how they reacted. So I saw that and Vanni was all excited. Then I watched Bob Bradley, who didn't go over to Vanni to shake his hand, just was making straight from yeah, the, the straight referee. Straight to the referee. No, they Slowly. showed both. They showed both on the on the TV as well. The I thought Sartini was going to jump into the stands. It looked like he was at one. Yeah, point. I and I, then, mean, uh, I thought it must have been terrifying for the referee and crew to see Voldemort just coming towards him like that. Yeah, just... and, and, and it was it was funny because Bradley kept asking about it, and then the referee kept saying it just kept pointing to the stands. I think he was pointing like to VAR, like you know VAR. No, said no, it was no goal. Bradley um, was pointing to the roof and he was saying to the referee, it's a good job that that roof is closed today or my Death Eaters would be coming in to devour you. <laughs> no, I think the ref was saying, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. But and, yeah. Yeah, I saw Vanny, he's like jumped on a box in front of the stands, like in front of the, at the bench to celebrate. Like it was like the, the World Cup. <laughs> so who were your standouts today? Thomas Asal obviously did a good job. Cody Cropper did a good job when he came on. I thought Godoy, nice and solid in his first game back. I asked Jake about what Godoy brings to the back line after the game. And he said, he's, he's just one of our best defenders. Uh, and he's such an impact on this team when healthy. He says, we just have to try and keep him healthy. Yeah. Can't, can't argue with that. When you say standards, you mean aside from the ref and VAR? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I would agree People with you. People wearing a white cap shirt officially, not under their jersey. Right. I think um, I think I would agree with you for uh, for Godoy. He, he stood out to me in the fact that I think not only did he perform quite well, other than that one uh, still shot you sent to Steve. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but I, the thing that I think uh, he does is because of his presence and his abilities. He makes those around him better, and I feel like Ranko played so much better. Yes, with him, and yeah. was even even confident a few times to show his abilities. You know, going forward uh, to play uh, to play the ball forward and to get a little bit forward, um, and also make the other you know the fullbacks I think more, more comfortable as well. Yeah. And then he does allow them to as well. If it's the false four or whatever, it allow, it allows them a lot of flexibility with him there. Because part of me was just like actually there was one point during the game when I was not appreciating Javane Brown's contributions, where I thought, well, couldn't they, couldn't they like put on Youngworth and just put Godoy right back? Because <laughs> um, he could have done a job there, I think better than what was done. So um, yeah, I think, I think he was really good. I think um, the other person who stood out um, and I know he maybe didn't get, won't get a lot of applause. I, I, I thought it was a, 
a positive game from Ryan Gold, especially. Oh no, from, I thought he, I thought he he did well. Especially yeah. from the fact that he was stuck out on the wing, sort of. I mean, he had more. He had some freedom. Um, but I thought I thought he did well to still bring his creativity and like every time he got the ball, you, TFC knew that there was danger lurking. And uh, I think he drew in players, created space for other players. And um, his uh, looping header attempt was, I think, uh, just a sign of you talk about I talk about Kava's lacking of football IQ. I think you just saw Ryan's when it was just like, okay, I know how to, I know the only way that this can go in is with like a looping header kind of over the keeper into the corner or into the top of the net or just under the crossbar. And um, yeah, I think those are, those are two of the players for sure. For me, that stood out. For me, the uh, I'll, we already mentioned a lot of them, like you guys get gold and all that stuff into homie. Um, I think like a couple of players that had solid, but not, not definitely not spectacular. I thought Berhalter was all right um uh in the midfield uh, i didn't I, I don't feel like he hurt the team at all and that's what at this point until we get the midfielders we first choice midfielders that's what we're hoping for and i think uh uh this one substitution i noticed off the bench that i thought really stepped up a little bit more than what he has in the past is boldissimo i thought boldissimo in the midfield as well uh, he had a couple moments where he helped out and i think even on the goal he was involved somewhere on the goal was he or I don't remember if you got a touch on that. I, I, think, I think Raposo did. did yeah, Raposo much, was in there too. Did yeah. just as much or more on his, in his appearance. For, for yeah. me, two, two, two other uh, significant mentions for me, two players I was watching the whole time that they were on the field. Uh, they weren't perfect. They made a couple errors, but they also made some, uh, I think, positive contributions to their team were uh, Caden Chung and Lucas Minotten. Uh, I, felt, I felt bad for Caden to be substituted at halftime for a tactical uh, switch. Um, but I thought it, for him, this would have been a massive, a massive game um, to, to play, uh, you know, in Vancouver against Vancouver. And I thought McNaughton, you know, with all these, with all the center back injuries that TFC has, I thought conti- I, he continues to acquit himself well and uh, made an, again, there were some errors, but he, I think he made a number of, of good plays and recoveries that, um, that uh, will keep him as a viable option for Bob Bradley in various situations. And most importantly, hopefully keeps him uh, uh, hitting whatever achievement marks he needs to so that um, Pacific FC will get <laughs> as much money as possible from that transfer. Yeah. I, I have no comment on any TFC players. So, a win for the Whitecaps. We won't do our usual MLS roundup that we do because we've got a lot of stuff to cover in the show and I, I do want to try and keep it as close to two hours as possible this week. We'll see how we go with that. But... The Whitecaps win keeps them in last place in the Western Conference and last place in the Supporter Shield standing as well. They move level on seven points with Seattle Sounders, who went down to a surprise defeat to, to Dallas. Yeah, so Vancouver, a little bit of a hangover. Vancouver their, their is equal with the best team in the whole region. They're on par with them. So we are second best team in CONCACAF, if we look at it that way, by by weird logic but tied in seven points they have played a game less which is why they are sitting in 13th and the the white caps are 14th next up is san jose earthquakes i keep thinking it's fc dallas next but san jose earthquakes we play san jose this saturday and then dallas the following midweek so san jose have won two of the last three matches 
and they got another win this weekend. It was a, a 1-0 win at home to Colorado. Nathan, that pesky Nathan getting the goal. <laughs> and that gave them the, the win, 64th minute goal there. Pretty even match in, in a lot of things, but the Whitecaps can take some positives out of this game. Now, on all the, the key metrics, if you look at expected goals, open play expected goals, big chances, shots, the numbers against TFC were all favourable to the Caps. I would probably say it wasn't a pretty game, but it got the job done. And that's maybe sometimes what the, the Whitecaps need to do, as you kind of said worse to that effect off the top of the show Steve it's going to be tough uh, against San Jose next week but it's a very winnable game and we won't delve into that just now but how confident are you that they can follow this win up with two more wins now against San Jose and Dallas well, uh, just a, a quick comment on expected goals they're always going to have a favourable if they win the game because nobody's expecting them to do anything so anytime they do something, it will be a favorable thing. Um, the, for San Jose, I think they do still have a they have a very good chance at getting a result here, uh, especially a win. San Jose, you, you, now I know you mentioned the two wins in a row, but on the road they're four losses out of four. Yeah, it, it was so two they're home not, wins. Yeah, two home wins, and even their three draws have been all at home as well. Um, so they're basically you know two wins five losses three draws and every all the points are at home so i think it's very good chance that they, even though they've had a kind of an uptick i think since their coach they left you know it, it, uh, they fired him or whatever happened um i think i think they i think vancouver could still they're still a team that's got a little bit of a bump because of the coaching change but it could easily turn around at any point Zach, confident we can get another six to add to the tally? Slowly move us up this table? I think, like, the San Jose has to be a must, right? Like, you, if you don't, I mean, you're talking about seven out of nine, Michael, and if three of those don't come against San Jose, uh, it's, it's, then... It's a big wasted opportunity. Exactly. And so, I, I think they, they really need to beat San Jose, and I think, uh, I think they'll be up, well, I think... <laughs> I think the um, the Voyagers Cup game, I think, will uh, will um, affect their momentum and their confidence. And uh, I think it actually we'll probably talk about that later. But I think it'll probably give them give them confidence. Yeah. And so I think that they'll uh, I think they'll be able to uh, overcome San Jose. The Dallas one, I think, is a real is the bigger question mark. Uh, They're Dallas, another team that don't travel that well. They don't travel well, but they've also done far more this year than I think all of us combined would have thought would have thought necessarily. I, I um, said I fancied Oh did you them. say I oh, said sorry. that they'd made some good signings. Okay, sorry. You you might you might have saw, seen some of that. Um so I think yeah I think you know if they if they win against uh San Jose and they draw or win against Dallas, I think they will maybe be at a place where they're starting to turn things around. Well we had Vanny Sartini on last week's show. And one of the things he talked about was about not getting cut adrift. So I think it was an eight-point gap going into this weekend. It's now been cut to a seven-point gap between themselves and the playoffs. And they've got a game in hand, albeit at Seattle. But he, he did talk about like closing the gap slowly and like doing it in four-game spurts. And you, you knock a point off every four games. And then by the end of the season, you're level 
or in the playoffs. So that is an interesting way of looking at it. It's all going well so far. But as Zach said there, there's another game coming up before we get back to MLS action, the Canadian Championship. A tournament that has haunted the Whitecaps over the years. Can their fortunes change on Wednesday night? We'll be back chatting about that after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, I had to do it. We talked about daylight robbery, highwaymen, Dick Turpin, masks in the last part. Some folk may say that's what the Whitecats did to get their three points against TFC on Sunday afternoon. I still say they were the better team overall and did deserve three points, but... Just to mark that, I thought I would dig into one of my all-time favourite bands and former Artist of the Month here at AFTN from 1981, Adam and the Ants, a single taken from their Prince Charming album that was Stand and deliver all all your money all your life. Yes. We talked about the Whitecaps in MLS and we mentioned in the last part that before we get back to MLS action, we've got a Canadian Championship showdown coming up on Wednesday evening. That Valor FC game still looms large for the Whitecaps, maybe not as large that they've got that three points out of the way against TFC, but after going out in 2019 to Cavalry FC, the first MLS team to lose to a CPL team. Then backing that up in 2021 with a loss to Pacific FC, a defeat that cost Mark DeSantis and Phil DeSantis their jobs as head coach and assistant coach of the Whitecaps. Isn't it ironic, as a famous singer once said, that Phil DeSantis is now coming back to BC Place on Wednesday night as the head coach of a CPL side hoping to knock the Whitecaps off their perch and make it three defeats out of three against CPL teams. It's an exciting game. We'll get into it. Steve, early thoughts on this one. 
what are you expecting from this game? Are the Whitecaps going to go 3-0 and or are they going to break this jinx? What do you mean 0-3 though? I would say that this is their best chance to uh, break that funk. I, I realize that, you know, last year was a Pacific team away that was really like, you know, same province and everything like that. Cavalry was probably at that time the best team in CPL or very close to it. Um, so I think I think this is the year that they might actually. It, it's, it's really sounds. It's actually deflating me just saying this, but this is the year that Vancouver Whitecaps might break through and beat a CPL team. I, I think it's hard to see them losing again. Like I, I, I really, that... <laughs> it, 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 I, in one sense, it is. I really think that uh, Vanny knows the significance of this. Yeah, I, think well, I mean, he said are... last week in our in our chat with him that yes, they are yeah. taking this seriously, and he repeated I, that today. The only thing well, he, he, he got him his job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he lost <laughs> his <laughs> tournament. He got him the job. He got him the job, and he could lose him his, his job. Is or some people, you know, hypothesize that. Yeah, the, I don't think. Only... I think that win today has bought him a bottom time. I I don't know. I, I these yeah. Uh, you might be right, but the the, the only conspiratorial thing I could I could I could come up when I was thinking about this this week is that um, if there are if there are players who are unhappy with uh, the consistent changing or the you know not wanting to be back three or a, a false four or whatever, if they didn't want want uh, if they didn't they want if they wanted to change. This is an opportunity for, for them to, to see a change. I, I'm not I, obviously that's totally in totally whack job yes. uh, way of thinking. You got your little tinfoil hat on. Well, but it's the only only way I could it was honestly, I think it's the only way I could see them not being up for it. I'm not saying that's what they'll do or no. what they're thinking. No, they're they're I'm, behind Vanny. You saw today yeah. just what that win meant. You're going into this game against a Valor team that they're they've been unbeaten in two. They're a six-one win against Atletico Ottawa. Then they got hit with COVID. A couple of coaches, some players went down to COVID. Back at it this weekend. A very boring nil-nil game at home to to Halifax Wanderers, where they didn't show any of that attacking flair that that they showed against Ottawa on the road, where they, they banged the six goals in. They also had a shorthanded bench as well, so I don't know exactly how healthy they are or how many players they'll have for this. But they, they're in a bit of form. They've shown they can score. And Jonathan Sirwa, they have a great keeper yes. that has a lot of clean sheets to his name in CPL. It's not going to be easy for the Whitecaps, but the Whitecaps should be way too strong for this Valor team in the end. And I, I would see them getting through this by a two to three goal margin, to be honest. But they have to find their shooting boots on. And Steve, as you said, they need to actually have decent shots in front of goal for that to happen. Yeah, it, it, the, the finishing is probably what's going to be the biggest thing. And the longer it takes them to score a goal, the, uh, the better off for Valor. Like the longer Valor is able to stay in this game, uh, the best chance they have because well, they then the pressure well, mounts. The pressure mounts. They get tighter and and Valor gets looser, and then anything can happen at that point. So uh, the Whitecaps need to really, like, honestly, I know it's against their, um, you know, modus operandi or whatever they call it, uh, 
but they need to score early. They honestly yeah. need to score in the first 15 minutes or else it's it's going to get tighter and tighter as the game goes on. Yeah, an early goal, Zach, is then going to put all the pressure on Valor that they have to kind of change the game plan a little bit. And it yeah, takes a little bit of pressure off the Caps. Wasn't it a fairly early Pacific goal last year that kind of got things going in that game? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think whenever you're in a cup game and whenever... Uh, I mean, obviously, every team wants to go out and score the first goal. They want to score early, set the pace, set the tone, all that kind of stuff. But um, I think for this Whitecaps team specifically... I think it would be really helpful to calm any nerves or any any negative thoughts they might have in the back of their minds just to go out and, yeah, take an early lead. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that – I think Sirwa, I think, is the key to the game. I, I think that's yep. the, that's where the – he you know, For, for as poor a game as it was on Saturday against Halifax, Sirwa was good. Yeah. And he, and he, he is a quality young up-and-coming keeper who Valor are very uh, – blessed to have yes and i wish the white caps had somehow managed to get hold of him especially even more so now with a potential hassel injury it's also the return to vancouver of brett levi's wearing a valor strip and he's had a good season uh he's had some injuries on and off which i'm sure will surprise nobody from his time here i still like brett i think he's a great player he brings a lot to this valor team and he's going to be up for it we are going to be denied a Guti versus Guti matchup, which I thought we were going to get Diego versus Christian. Diego is, he was on the bench on Saturday, but PDS said after the game that he's fit and healthy to go and he'll probably get the start on Wednesday. But unfortunately, Christian Gutierrez won't. But that would have been a nice little storyline. But I think the Whitecaps players know the importance of this game. They know how important it is to the club. They know how important it is to Vanni Sartini. They know how important it is for their season and what it can mean. So I got a chance to ask Vanni Sartini and to St. Ricketts after the game today, just for some thoughts going into this game on Wednesday. Here's what they had to tell me. Looking ahead to Wednesday, yeah. uh, spoke to, to Phil yesterday, said the pressure's all on you guys of for, course, for that yeah, one. It's true. How, how do you see that game playing out? Do you think Valor's going to come and have a real go at you? Or yeah, is it gonna be yeah, 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 yeah. of course. Down? Of course, yeah. We, 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 uh, I'm, I'm being very clear. Wednesday is the most important game of the year so far. Why? Because if we lose, we are out of the Canadian Championship. That is a competition that we. Uh, want to try to win it's a competition that it's like would say we have to win in four games not 34 like the MLS and uh, we enter the competition and we have to be honest in a way that we are the the big guy we are not the underdog because you know CPL of course because of budget and everything we need to we need to have the extreme respect to Valor and go with all our guns there and try to to win this game because, uh, you know, the last two years, uh, well, not three years, actually, the two the last two uh, Canadian Championship campaign has been very disappointed for the club and we need also to change that. And I'm also looking forward to see Phil Tuesday night for a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Big game coming up on Wednesday. You've got good history in the Canadian Championship. The club struggled in recent years in this tournament. How important is this tournament to you? It means everything. You know, Canada Cup's important. You know, it's it's more than the trophy. It's about pride. 
It's about battling for your, your country's cup, you know, and um, those results last year and the year before, that sticks with us. You know, we still think about it and we want to, you know, rewrite, rewrite those wrongs and come into Wednesday aggressive and hungry for, for that win. What are you expecting from Valor? The last couple of games, they put six goals past Ottawa, but then they were blank to the weekend. They, they've talked about they want to come here and not just sit back, they want to attack you guys. Do you think it's going to be a kind of end-to-end affair? I mean, it's always going to be tough. You know, to Valor, this is the biggest game of the year. You know, but for us, it's the biggest game of the year as well. So we're, we're coming into that game with that same mentality. We're not going to make it easy. We're not thinking, oh, this is a CPL team or whatever. We're coming in to win this game. Giovanni Sertini there and to St. Ricketts, a man who has lifted a Voyager's Cup, albeit in the colours of red and white, the TFC. And this tournament I love. And it opens the door into the, the CONCACAF Champions League. We'll touch on that in the next part. That in itself opens the door to a FIFA Club World Cup. Getting way ahead of ourselves. We still have to get past a first round match against a CPL team in recent years for anything like that to happen. And even if the Whitecaps do get through this game, they're going to be travelling to take on, let's be honest, Cavalry FC in the quarterfinals. They play FC Edmonton on Tuesday night. I was talking to someone about that today and they had said, oh, it could be Edmonton. I was like, ah, let's be honest, it's Cavalry FC. That's going to be a tough one as well, especially the way that Cavalry are at home. So, I mean, it's going to be tough all round. Valor's preparation for this has been hit by COVID. And we don't know how much that's taken out of them, how much momentum it's taken, but they will be up for it. Philip DeSantis in particular will be up for it. I spoke to Phil before the season started a couple of shows ago and he, he touched on the game, but he said he didn't want to talk too much about it until all the league games were out of the way. So those games were out of the way on Saturday. So of course, I had to jump on Valor's post-game call to, to have a chat with, with Phil about this game coming up. And then a, a couple of other forecasts him about the game as well. So let's hear some audio just now from Valor FC head coach, Philip DeSantis. Michael. Hey Phil, how you doing? Now you're allowed asking me about the Vancouver game because it's my next game. Yeah, that's why I thought I'd jump on this. Um, this, this game then on Wednesday against Vancouver, is it coming at a good time for you? Because you're in a little bit of form, Vancouver's clearly not, but you have had that kind of bye week and you're talked about maybe a little bit sluggish today. Uh, there's no Vancouver is in no form. There's no Vancouver's in no form. We know it's a good team, a good group of players. They're playing home. Um, we all know what's at stake, Michael. We all understand, and they understand too. So it's a one game. It's a knockout game. So I I think this game could have been good for us, because, and it, it was good for us because it gets our legs going. I don't think that at this, this early in the season, you know, from a Saturday to a Wednesday is an issue. I think we'll be we'll be fresh. Um, is there a good moment? Uh, these games are good. They're good for the players. So when they come, they come. So I, 
Um, I, I know that we know and that players know and everyone in the organization understand that, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a, a little bit of a, a David versus Goliath. And uh, for us to get something out of that game, we'll need to be very, very good. And that's the responsibility that we, we need to approach the game with. Shoes on the other foot this time because yeah. you've been on the coaching staff where a CPL team is is coming to you. Now you're going to the MLS team. Without giving all your secrets away, how do you approach this? What what message do you give the players? Is it just be out there, be free, just enjoy yourselves? I don't I, I that's it's it's not a game that's our championship. I don't believe that you could turn on a switch or off. I think there's strategical approaches that we could bring into the game and fine-tune little things uh, to try and count, count, counter certain weapons. But from there to say that I'm going to go and approach the game with a different um, mentality or asking players to do things that they're not asked to do since I took over this team, it's not going to happen. So we'll approach this game um, in a way where we go to it's a one one game right so there's only one thing you have to be smart in how you're gonna go and try to get a result but ultimately that's what you want to do it's try to get a result so um for us to do that we'll have to stay in our identity and and have a good game and 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 every time we're able to get on the ball be good on the ball and every time we don't have it try to control the space and and uh, and be good defensively as well. So it's games that we, you know, these teams normally when you make mistakes, they make you pay. So we know that, we're aware of that. My message is simple, is it's going to be reinforcing what we've been all about, and that's what I want. What is Wednesday's game mean to you getting coached this year? Emotionally? It's, uh, of course, it's my, it's, I think it's my first cup game as a head coach. It's a um, knockout game, so it's exciting. Um, it happened that now it's against a team where I spent three years or two years and, and maybe three quarters. So um, it's, it's going to be exciting. But at the same time, I, I'm not a guy that gets on a high and that wants the excitement to uh, to get on the way. At the end of the day, it's another soccer game and I need to be there and go there. And I know that at the beginning or throughout the process, there's going to be handshakes and there's going to be um, re-encounters. But I know how this works. Once the 90 minutes or the whistle is blown, um, it's just going to be a game that I have to coach. And uh, that's how I'm going to see it. Are you guys capable of taking down an MLS? If I would say no, then we might as well not travel. Uh, we stay home and uh, we call the league and say, give them the match. So, of course, we believe it's capable. Uh, we're aware of the challenge, uh, but we believe it's capable. And the proof is that there's been upsets. There's been upsets uh, in the past with Vancouver, with other teams. There's been upsets this year with USL teams uh, knocking out, uh, out some of the MLS teams. So, we have to go with the confidence that it's possible to get something and the belief that it's a good game to play. It's a good venue. It's a, against a good opposition. And these are games that could propel teams to very good things uh, if you're able to get something out of it. So we need to look at it as an opportunity and, and believe that the outcome could be good for us. 
do, do you think it's a bigger deal for you to win or for them to lose? If you were to beat an MLS team, you're, the pressure there is- you're asking me where's the pressure? Yeah. 100% with them. Me, uh, look, the pressure is going to be the one that I'll put on myself and the players will put on themselves, but nobody's going to come and say, uh, it, it, first of all, it's not losing a game of football is not life or, or death, mm-hmm. right? We have to, there's things happening in the world right now that, you know, when we look at the big picture, this, we love what we do. It's great. It's, uh, it engages people, fans and everything. But at the end of the day, there's things when we look at global world and what's happening. And so for me, the pressure is the one we'll put on ourselves. Now, do I think there's a little bit more pressure on their end? Of course. And I'm sure they, they know that too. I'm sure they know that. So Phil DeSantis, he's going to be very much up for this one and he's going to have his team well organised. Valor's got a good team in the making here. Hit by some injuries, Andrew Jean-Baptiste, one of their key defenders, out with a a hamstring injury, I believe it is as well. Let's get some predictions from you guys just going into Wednesday. I think a two or three goal win for the Whitecaps. What say you, Steve? Well, considering it's been, uh, it took them seven years officially, like in the official tournament, to win the Voyagers Cup, and it's been about seven years since they won that cup. I will say this could be their year, and at least they'll get by the first game. I think they will. I, I would say uh, two nil. It is a very favourable draw if they play to their strengths and the way that an MLS club should be playing. They should have. Uh, a road to the final that is against three CPL teams. Um, normally, you'd be licking your chops at that, Zach, but we have seen what's happened in recent years. And two of those teams... I mean, th- this could be the, the biggest exercising of ghosts ever. Get past Valor, knock out yeah. your first conquerors in Cavalry, mm-hmm. potentially knock out your other conquerors in Pacific and get to it's the It's a final. revenge tour. It's a revenge tour, basically. Yeah. So how, how do you see Wednesday going, Zach? Man, you're really going down the road there. Because, uh, you know what, I think that... Uh, I, I think I'm just giddy from the result today and yeah, the sun. Yeah, yeah. And I a think, lot of football this weekend. I th- it would be a, it would be great for Valor if they, they could, you know, continue the CPL, you know, conquering of, of Vancouver. But I really think that based on form and uh, where things are at and just the, how much Vancouver, I think, ultimately will be up for it, I think Vancouver will overcome. Um, and, and actually, and I think playing in Vancouver is, is very helpful for them. Uh, so I think they'll overcome. I agree with you, Michael. It'll be like a, like a three, one kind of game. Like a two, they'll win by at least a couple of goals. And, um, but, but I, I think the next, if they do get past this, the next rounds, I don't think are anywhere near a certain. No, not, not at all. I mean, they would be at uh, home the, in the semis and the final, so they've got that lure as well. But but, yeah, but the Cal- issue cavalry away is a toughie. Like I know you say it's great; it would be great for Valor to continue this. But you know what? The danger is that if Whitecaps keep losing this and don't advance, that people here in Vancouver are just not going to care about the Voyagers Cup anymore, and yeah. that would be, I think, more harmful overall. Than that's a very the, not, very good not, point. Steve. Not to the white, not to the white cats, but to the Voyagers Cup. I think that's a very harmful for the Voyagers Cup if this uh, like this MLS team that could be bringing in more fans and stuff like that into the stands to watch these games. That, I think that's more harmful. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly would be harmful to the Whitecaps from a, a ticket selling point of view. But yeah, I, I want people to care about this this tournament, this competition, this cup. And I want them to care about the Champions League. And they're only going to do that if they can see the games, which is a, a whole other thing we won't go into just now. But the way to see the games is home games and turning up at BC Place to see it. So I think the Whitecaps need a good run in this competition to get folks' love affair with the Voyagers Cup back. We're going to see a strong lineup out, certainly to start the game. Fanny did hint last week in my chat with him that we might see some call-ups from WFC2 for the bench. I'm totally fine with that as well. And we'll just round this part off by saying another win for WFC2 at the weekend and possibly that their best win yet. They beat a team that's been flying so far to start the season, St. Louis City 2. They took the lead in the 18th minute and then the Whitecaps, their team spirit is just phenomenal. Nick Dazovic has done so well with that team. They came storming back. Owen Antoniuk got his fourth goal of the season in the 76th minute and then Emiliano Brienza made it three goals in four games in the 85th minute to, what a goal. to see the deal. A fantastic free kick from, from mm-hmm. Emmy. Very, very pleased for him. And uh, just a, a stunning, stunning Bend win like for Brienza. the Whitecaps. Oh, I like that. Yeah, Brien- Why did I not think of that? Brienza c- continues to impress. And yeah. he, uh, it would... He'll be one of the guys I would expect to see in the bench on Wednesday night, I've got to say. Yeah. Uh, he. It would be nice if they could bring through a striker through the... Academy. It feels like it's been like a while. Yeah. Who was the last striker? Theo like, Bear. I mean, you could say Fonzie, but... Theo, like, Theo was Bear a, would, was yeah, a striker. Th- yeah, Theo, and then before that... No, uh, yeah. Uh, did Terry Campbell ever... Terry Campbell never signed, right? Well, he, he had WFC2 deal, but he never yeah, signed yeah. a first-team deal. It makes me think of back of the good old days of... Uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, now I'm forgetting his name. Um, Hoytema. Oh, yeah, Brody. Uh, Brody. Brody. Yeah, he was Brody, a beast in the academy, man. Yeah. yeah, he he was even like at, at the academy level, he was higher than what Keel Clark was. Yeah, and he yeah. looked like a guy. He got lost in Duke for some reason. I don't. Uh, well, he maybe got a it was just a wrong. And then he had to. Retire. No, no, I know that. But even before he got the concussion, oh. he 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 was lost. Maybe because he was a freshman, they didn't play yeah, him as much. I but... think that was the that was the main thing. A lot of them struggle when they they go there in their freshman years. Yeah. So and then and then and then it was like then you're right. The concussions that piled up, and he just had to retire. But he could have easily been a star for this team. But if you do want to see Caleb Clark, superstar, get <laughs> yourselves out to Swangard Stadium next Sunday, three o'clock kickoff. It's the BC Provincial A Cup final. Caleb Clark's BB Five United CCB are taking on FC Tigers. It's the VMSL champs against the Fraser Valley Soccer League champs. It is going to be an absolutely fantastic game. There's a, a lot of players that you'll see in League 1 BC playing in that. Marcel de Jong plays for BB5 as well, so you might get a chance to see him. Missed Saturday's game, the semi-final, in which Caleb got a goal. But there's a, a lot of folk with Whitecaps connections on both those teams. Final thing I'll say about WFC2, they are now up to second in the Western Conference standings. 15 points from their seven games so far, three behind the the leaders, Houston. The Whitecaps do lead the Pacific Division because it's split between the the different divisions. So they they lead the 
the Pacific Division by four points now over Tacoma. And overall, throughout the league, WFC2 have the third best record throughout MLS Next Pro. Continue to be a joy to watch. Can I ask you one question, Michael, about sure. WFC2? Um, so aside from consistent winning um, and, uh, you know, this today switch to a false four, um, I, I feel like I've heard conflicting statements from people like Axel Schuster and Vanny Sartini uh, and maybe one or two others um, around, is this team supposed to, I've heard, I've heard earlier, I remember at the beginning, I think it was one of your interviews. I forget who you were interviewing. It was Vanny. I know exactly what you're going to say. Well, yeah. So the, this, the thing was, hey, uh, it doesn't matter what formation they play or what tactics they play, go out and do whatever. And then I swear I heard maybe it was Axel later say, oh, it's great. They're doing the exact same thing. And Dazzo said that as well when I spoke to Dazzo. Yeah. So which, which is it? I don't know. I I think Vanny's under the impression that Dazzo's got free reign to do what he wants, but Dazzo might be getting told we'd like you to play the three at the back. Okay. I guess we'll find out in the next game if they go to four in the back, but three in the back actually suits them. So it could yeah. just be a coincidence because... They've got those three centre-backs in the Campania brothers and Massey that are phenomenal when they play. And they look really good together and the back three really suits them because of the wing-backs they've got, like Ali Ahmed. And I think three at the back actually suits them and it, it does well. They are a joy to watch. They are away next week. I, I personally love a Campania sandwich with a slice of Massey in between. Hey, I, I, I always can't thought, beat a good Italian sandwich. Bosa Foods, I highly recommend their Soprano. I, it, um, yeah, I just found it really surprising when I heard. I couldn't remember if it was Danny or or Schuster who said, "Oh yeah, it doesn't matter what they play; they can play whatever they want." I was like, "That's the the kind of the opposite of what you want at your football club." Even though in the history of the Whitecaps and their academy, they've said, "Oh, we're playing the exact same," and everyone who watched them were like, "You're not playing anywhere near the exact, exact same football." So. What, what, uh, what I'm shocked about all this is that Zach finds it surprising there's conflicting reports coming out of the uh, the Whitecaps. <laughs> He's new to the team, well, it's okay. I, just su- such public statements to Michael, I guess that's that was... My, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think it suits them best, so everything's mirrored so far, but obviously if the first team switches to four at the back, we'll kind of see how that Stu- Stuart Neely back in the day one day did sit down and show me the documents and said this is how we're this is how we're mirroring or mimicking or whatever uh, this is the ways that we're going about that are exact the same as the first team obviously there's going to be some variations but this is um, but yeah that was a long time ago but we fantastic. never heard from him again He's, he's over on the island now. Yeah, he's he? on the island. No, I'm just kidding because oh. he revealed secrets. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's why he's over on the island now. But a fantastic weekend for the Whitecaps. The first team win. I was going to say the second team, but MLS Next Pro team, they get a win. Two weeks' time. League One BC is going to kick off as well with two Whitecaps teams in there. I'm just delighted that we've got a feel-good factor, at least for this show and at least for this weekend with the Whitecaps. We might take the mood down a little bit in the next part because we're going to be focusing on the Whitecaps' local rivals, if you can call them rivals these days, because they're the best team in CONCACAF. It's Seattle Sounders. They've just won the CONCACAF Champions League. We'll be talking a little bit about that and what it might mean for the Whitecaps after this. Hey, I'm Brett Levi's, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. one and love the sweet she walks 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of May from Chicago, Illinois, three-piece band called Horse Girl. That is their latest single, World of Pots and Pans, and it is taken from their debut album, Versions of Modern Performance, that gets released on June 3rd. Check them out in all the usual places. You can also check them out on Bandcamp. This is horsegirl.bandcamp.com. You can order their their album and stuff there, although the postage is horrendous. So I'm going to try and wait to pick it up at their live show in July. They're playing at the Wise Hall on July 15th. I've got my ticket for that. Should be a cracking gig. Get out to that one. World of Pots and Pans. World of Football. And the world of football has certainly opened up for Seattle Sounders. They're heading to the FIFA Club World Cup. Except nobody knows when it's going to be, if it's going to take place. But Seattle are going to be one of the CONCACAF representatives there. It was meant to take place this December, but obviously the World Cup stops that. It was going to be taking place in China, as a St. Orange man used to say. Uh, I think you pronounced that wrong. Um, even for the, or even for the, <laughs> pronunciation's <laughs> never been my strong point. As yeah. people that listen to my commentary will soon find out. No, um, and, and there's not, there's no certainty over the format, right? It's it's expanded. Yeah, and but is I it solidified? What the expansion I, is? Well, I saw twenty four clubs. Was this in a, dr- a dream? Are you is this prophetic? Or? See, this is going to be ironic because the Whitecaps will get to be in the top 25 as the 25th club in the world and then they'll miss out because it's the top 24 <laughs> clubs that go. That's a, that's a FIFA conspiracy that Victor Montagliani will have to answer questions on. I mean, the Whitecaps just now are just dreaming of being a top 25 club in MLS. So let's baby steps. We're only 12 years into this. Which does bring me nicely into what we are going to talk about. We've been full of praise for the White Caps. Well, maybe not full. We've been of praise of the White Caps in the first two parts. But I want to talk about Seattle's win on Wednesday night. And first of all, it, it, it does pain me to say this, despite what Zach will say about me celebrating with champagne and jam donuts with Stephen Fry in Seattle's locker room. But grudgingly then, let me put it this way. Well done to Seattle. If any club from MLS deserves this honour of being the, the first team to win 
the CONCACAF Champions League. It is Seattle because of the foundations that they've built and what they've done with this club. When this draw was made back in December, I got a text from somebody who will remain nameless saying, that's an easy draw for Seattle. They're going to get through to the final and they're probably going to win this. Now, I got that text the night of the draw, which sadly was the the night that I had to take our dog Penny to the, the hospital because she wasn't well uh, with her cancer. And unfortunately, she passed away the next day. So basically, I associate Seattle Sounders' CONCACAF Championship victory with the, the death of my dog. So as long as they can live with themselves, there we go. But Steve... Your thoughts on Seattle's championship win? Well, number one, it's uh, and I only I think I've only watched about the first sixty minutes of the game. It seemed like the weakest Mexican side I've ever seen oh, in yeah. a Concacaf yeah. Champions final. Yeah. Um, that's number one, and uh, like I I I could have sw- maybe I maybe I flashed or something like that, but I thought it was always done in uh, neutral place. But I guess maybe I thought it, that's only Champions League. Um, and, and I didn't realize it was two legs, but I guess that's been going on forever too. Yeah. I always seem to like I was watching the first, last game. So maybe I just missed the first game all these years, or maybe but I'm just also, in COVID days or something like that. CONCACAF being CONCACAF had the away goals rule all the way up to the final and then, and then made the decision of not having it in the final. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, yeah, um, and I'm just joking about not realizing that the games were two legs and everything. I think that's what it should be, and it should be, it should be neutral because yeah. it was definitely an advantage in this case. Zach, you're not a fan of the Flounders, but, I mean, Whitecaps connections. Legend, Freddie Montero, getting to win some silverware south of the border. You must be delighted for him. He was wearing a, a, a Jesus t-shirt in the dressing room afterwards nice um no i i think yeah obviously yeah, i don't i don't like the founders at, like as a as a sporting team um i i think i mean they they did really well i mean the, for all the all the distaste for them you know as being a uh a rival back in the day um i think as I've said in the show before, they they do a lot they do a lot of things right and they do a lot of things really well. Um, I think they had incredible foundations, you know, with building off, you know, their owner their original ownership being connected to the NFL team, which you know it didn't it didn't give them a, a huge base. I think there was only like four percent crossover or, or something in their in their their season tickets or whatever it was, but it it gave them. It gave them marketing. It gave them all these things that they've used really well. And they've done a lot of things off the field uh, really, really well. Um, I uh, I also, like I've expressed before, strong appreciation for Brian Smetzer, um, who yes. um, totally understands what his role as a steward of the football club is. He's there to, to do all he can while he's there to make it as good and succeed as much as it can. And I think... Uh, he's done like an absolutely incredible job of picking up the torch from the late uh, Ziggy Schmidt and carrying on uh, the legacy. Obviously he, he carried that torch as, as the coach in the USL era as well, um, but has picked thing, picked things up and has now gotten to them to um, heights that they've never been to before. And I guess the only, only uh, 
only thing he could do more is to, you know, go out and yeah, win the World Cup Cup, which none of us see that happening. But still, even making it there is huge. Um, I also, yeah, for the for the people I know in Seattle, um, uh, yeah, happy for them because this is uh, was such a joyous occasion. It's a massive thing, and I've talked to a few of them about, you know, who would you rather play, and you know, from like from the European possibilities from this upcoming Champions League final. And I, I just hope they avoid East Fife because I feel that will be a tough tie for us. No, yeah, it's uh, it's it's huge. I mean, it's it's unfortunate for Whitecaps fans, and uh, you know, to again be in the shadow for other, for more and more reasons. Um, yeah. And it doesn't help that the executives in the earliest days of MLS chose to make comments that they 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 decided never to back up with their with their actions. About well, yeah, I mean, I I know everyone jokes about that whole top 25 in the world remark that, well, well, that Paul no, Barber not, made. Oh, you're not, not talking about that. Well, there's well, that. Well, but... I, I'll just finish what I was going to say. Yeah. But then you look at the job that Barber's done at Brighton and it's like, maybe we should have stuck with that vision a little bit more and actually backed him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he. I mean, Paul Barber, like many, many other people before him and a few since him, um, you know, ran into, you know, this this kind of steel wall of this, you know, this uh, group of people that have, you know, been together for so long and kept each other safe in their roles for so long. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's not the comment I was thinking about. More I was thinking about, I think, I I don't think it was Barber, actually. I think it was Leonard Doozy who said, uh, oh, it could have been Barber. I may be wrong. It's one of the two of them. It said, uh, you know, we're going to make Seattle look like a picnic or something like that. Or oh, we're going to, yes. we're going to like totally outdo Seattle when we go to MLS. Yes. And it was, it was words that there were, it, it was, it was just a, a lot of just assuming because what happened in Seattle, it would happen here in the same kind of ways without putting in the work without, without putting in uh, the relationship building, without putting in the mark, the, the right kind of marketing and uh, you know, connection, connecting in the community and all that kind of stuff. And so, I think the proof is in the pudding when you see what Vancouver's done in the MLS era compared to the Seattle Sounders, who are the best club in their time in the MLS. And now I think most uh, most people who look at MLS would say they are the best club ever uh, from uh, from MLS. Yeah, I think it's you, you talk about you talk about the the poorness of the Mexican side. I think the the, the last time I felt like an MLS team should have won the final, uh, just to stay on today's topic, was when Toronto failed to beat Chivas. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Matias uh, Almeida's Chivas, um, because you know without that Bono's was, era, yeah, that was a great opportunity. Without Bono's era in that in that tie, and without um, their horrendous penalty taking, uh, they really should have. They should have. They should have. They should have won that. But um, instead, it's a different rival of Vancouver who won. So yeah, I mean that that's the the thing, and it's like that's the main thing I want to talk about in, in this part. Not big up Seattle too much although it's going to be hard not to with how we're going to talk about this I mean I'll I'll say here I have wanted Pumas to win because I couldn't stand all the the wankery that was going to be going about or what, what was it they said in the in AEW this week about you don't want to have a self-masturbatory Brett, Ma- Brett Hart yeah, match Brett Hart tribute match or something yeah. like that so it's like I just knew all the self-masturbatory MLS chatter that was going to be about once they did it I did like Liga MX's tweet they they did the trophy and they had their logo and the MLS logo and they had one cup under MLS and then all the other trophies under Liga MX so 
I, I like that little dig they had. So, I mean, yeah, they won it. Okay. They're still not competitive in a lot of the years. Um, this just seemed a, a bit of an off year for for club football in Mexico, both on and off the pitch with, with all the crap that's happened. But what I wanted to talk about primarily in this part is the, the different trajectories that Seattle and the Whitecaps have had since joining MLS. Now, yes, Seattle came to MLS two years before the Whitecaps. And that comment that you're talking about there, Zach, in 2010, a number of us were taken down on a bus from Vancouver to this a Sounders game. It was Sounders against DC United so that we could see the atmosphere at MLS and what the Sounders were doing. And there was comments made on that bus journey. We want to be better than that. We want to be bigger than that. Their march to the match, we want bigger than that. And we want... We want to fill BC Place and have what they have uh, at Seattle. Now, somewhere that went off the tracks as to how that was going to get achieved. Whether naively the ownership maybe thought, oh, we can do this by our academy and bring through all these youth guys and then sell them and make money that way and bring players in. And I mean, things started off Strongly enough, Jay Demerit, first player, an American international, had done it in the Premier League. And you're like, okay, that's not too bad. I did say at the time that he was an ageing player. And if that was the quality that they're bringing in as a DP, it was maybe a, a, a few concerns and alarm bells right away. Eric Castley, another DP, good first season tailed off a bit but then a, a number of decisions Steve that's been made in the MLS in the 12 year era for the Whitecaps recruitment uh, what players would keep managers everything like that whereas Seattle have slowly and steadily built and then built upon and then built upon and not had to do rebuild after rebuild after rebuild and had a way better recruitment department from way earlier than the Whitecaps have ever had they're, they've trended upwards. They've never not missed the MLS playoffs. The Whitecaps started down, up. They kind of went up and down a little bit. And then it's just been downward for the last few years. The two teams, Steve, seem light years apart. Yeah. Um, uh, bringing an old joke back in uh, from years in the past. Uh, it, it, first of all, Seattle is, is more kid-friendly because uh, they don't trade the players when their wives get pregnant. <laughs> um, um, but overall, we haven't done that I, I was, for a while. To be fair, yeah. To be fair, um, uh, but the the, the thing the, I was thinking because I knew we were going to talk about this, and I was thinking about what are the differences. Like, if I were to give examples, like mm. like description descriptive words, and the and and obviously not like these aren't all like you know the, all the whole picture, but I say ambition. Um, I think there, there's a difference there. Um, resources, putting the resources into the team, um, intelligence, integrity, those kind of things that, that uh, Seattle seems to have more of that they, you know, they find the players that they want and they bring them in and they have them ready to go. And, and they stuff succeed like that. as well, where yeah, we've had so many failures over the years. Like, like essentially it seems like that. Uh, and I'm not, I don't want to disparage the players that, but, it seems like the 
the, the Seattle brings in the, um, you know, the high end department store type and we're being in Valley Village type players like like in comparison. And, and, and that's the thing. That's where the ambition comes in that they're like it, they, they, they try to they try to polish these players that are coming in. Uh, but they're not up to the same quality that Seattle brings in. And I think that's one of the bigger differences. That is one of the massive differences. You're right, because their model wasn't based on, hey, let's bring on, let's use like an imbomb as an example. Let's bring in a player who, yeah, we're paying some money for. Yeah, he should contribute and even get even better while he's here. But the ultimate goal is for us to make more money off him down the road. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that they've never done that or whatever. Their owners don't care about that. But that has not been what has driven their model. When you look, especially in the early days, and they even do it now, but to maybe a lesser degree, um, they uh, they brought in players who would help them bring more people into the stadium, but who were also players who would help them on the pitch. The, the, the first example that comes to mind is... Um, uh, former Arsenal Swedish player Freddie uh, Freddie oh, Younger. Yes, right. He was a player who people could say, "I watched that guy at the pub on Saturday morning, or in my living room on Saturday morning. I know him." And he was still at an age where he could contribute and could could give something. And they they didn't they they did that a number of times well, where it helped them grow. And then I think they moved a little bit maybe on from that. Um, to to really developing their own players of of quality, you know the Roldans and the what's his name, uh, the kid wonder there, uh, wing, number thirteen, more, oh, uh, Morris. Morris, yeah. Um, look at look uh, at the young guys on their roster just now as totally. well that have come through Sounders too. Totally, and uh, and, and they sold players too because you got uh, Yedlin yep. who they sold uh, before. Yeah, so they- for for me the, the 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 biggest thing is is you're right the 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 but I think the imbombs could have worked. If they had better players on, like that, Kimbom yes. wasn't considered they their best a player. Supporting cast, totally. exactly. It's so like that's Ryan, the problem. It's like Ryan Gold just now. So many folk have said best player in the white caps. Vanny said it today. He's our best player. You need to surround him by quality. quality then to get the best out of him, or it all falls on one guy's shoulder. And and that's what they've done, and that's what Seattle has done, right? And 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 what they they did a, a lot better than Vancouver. I, I think there's no denying this, is they brought in proven MLS players, veteran yep. MLS players who were good and solid, good solid to to gr- really good contributors in MLS. Right? You think of like a Chad Marshall, right? Like Ziggy had experience with him, right? I think before in Columbus yeah. brings him in. He's the stalwart of their defense for for years, right? Um, like players uh, like that. Um, they, they got some gems too. Uh, did, did they? I forget. Did they bring? Oh no, they got him from USL, I think. But uh, what's his name? Honey Badger, um, Alonzo, right? Oh. The guy who ran their midfield for years. Yeah. They saw something in him. Uh, kind of a. I think they got him when he was young, and I think they got him like Ooh. near the beginning. What are you talking about? Seattle. Yeah, Alonso, the the holding midfielder. Oh, Aussie. Oh, but Aussie. he was a he was a he was a Cuban defector. Uh, yeah, he uh, yeah, but a I think he started but in like Rochester. He, no, no, he started in USL because he, he had to start somewhere yeah. in order to get going. Yeah. But then he knew everybody knew he was going to go to MLS. But that again like, falls down to their scouting and the recruitment. We're avoiding talking about the money aspect, which is good because that is obviously a clear thing as well, and we will come to that. But. For me, like the words you used, Steve, 
absolutely spot on as the differences. Like if you're trying to explain this to a layman, perfect way to, to describe it. But what Seattle have done is they've created a culture and mm-hmm. it's a winning culture. Yes. Every single year, if the Sounders are out of the playoff positions, I fully believe they're going to get in the playoffs and they have. And they believe they're going to get in the playoffs and that drives them forward. But there's a winning culture from top to bottom. And you install that by winning. And but when you look back in the history books, NASL days, USL days, Vancouver and Seattle, they were rivals because they were both level with each other. And Vancouver often edged it and were the better team through those years. And then you would think, oh, that's going to continue when they go into to MLS. And I, I was saying this to one of my, my friends in Scotland. I was like, I would say it's tough to see a rival win it, but let's be absolutely brutally honest here. We have not been a rival in Vancouver of Seattle for many a year now. No. They don't consider us as rivals. No. Not, and not, not. rightly so. Yeah, we've had the odd shock result down there. There's been sometimes we should still have won that playoff series in 2017. I won't go down that road again. But so much of it comes down to recruitment and how badly it is. And I was thinking about this t- today in the car because, again, as you said, Steve, when you were going to be talking about this, look at some of the guys that we've brought in to make a splash. Christmas Day announcement, Octavio Rivero. A Christmas Day announcement works if it's a guy that you've heard of. Yeah. Like a Freddie Lundberg. How many jerseys is Octavio Rivero going to be selling as a big big announcement? Uh, Blondell, RDS, absolute flops. And too often, the Whitecaps are like what you said, Zach. We want to bring a guy in, as a st- use this as a stepping stone so he moves on to Europe. Now, that is great. And you kind of do want that because you want guys to really shine and go on to bigger and better things. They've not done that with anyone. No. You could argue M-bomb, but that's a little bit different, I think. He did go to and Russia the, and things. And, and that's worked out there. And that's what we talked about before. Like the supporting cast was not there to support get these players to that next level. And teams not only look at the player, but they look at who they're playing with. And if because they, they want to see that they're playing with quality and then that they're able to shine too. Like I know Alfonso Davies was destined to go to Europe, but it's it's no surprise that clearly when he just shot off the moon, he was paired with a, a guy like Kai Kamara to uh, bring back to Zach's point about bringing solid MLS players. Mm. And, yeah, he's, he's and, 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 and and that helped Alfonso Davis open up completely. Like he had all the skill, but sometimes you need that just extra kick. And that's what got him over the line. Yeah. And how many players in the past that we've had where they've been just thrown in there are Marco Bustos, uh, uh, Keon's Froze. And yes, they, and I'm not, I'm not pointing out to these two players, but some of them did have issues where they demanded to be on the pitch, but they clearly didn't have players to go with them and, 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 and play with alongside. And it, that's the disappointing part because there is talent coming through this academy but if there's nowhere to nobody to play with when you get up there, they're going to be lost just as much as everything else. That that's yeah. the biggest. And then and then finally one more last point about the Kai Kamara thing. Bringing in MLS players is great, but when you show them the door the way they showed Kai Kamara the door, yeah. that news gets around the league, and less players want to come to Vancouver at that. Point. Well, yeah, he's definitely not the first example of that. 
Um, yeah, no, but uh, but th- that's a that's an example yeah. where it's a significant player being sent out the door where it's going to spread around the league that yeah, this is the way but, I was treated. But then also you've got a team just now that's not in a great position, which then makes it hard to, to bring players in as well. Whereas if you had done all these things earlier, you maybe would not be a club that's languishing down the bottom just now. Yeah, I, I think I think in addition to, to, to not having the right players around people, Steve, look at Seattle. I think they've shifted away because they've, reach such a level from having to bring in a Freddie Youngberg mm-hmm. type like every year or every couple of years or whatever. And now they're, they are bringing in those uh, players from like the white caps from like South America, but they're bringing kind of in the, like the next level, like yep. who, who wouldn't want a Raul Rui Diaz at their football club? Like who? I, no, everyone would. If you had yep. the chance to sign Raul Rui Diaz, would you not sign him? Of course. Who, would. Who of course you would. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah the other thing but you've also got like sorry to cut you off just quickly like you've got like Rui Diaz and Ladero top guys they drop out yeah there's a drop of quality but you've got Freddie Montero Will Bruin to bring in two guys that have been there and done it and performed constantly yeah they're not as good as those two guys they will get you goals and they will die for their team Freddie in particular and both of them are like proven in this, they're, they're those proven yeah. in this league players. And that's where we really bad in our recruitment is getting MLS vets. And in saying all this, things are improving. The recruitment department has finally been set up and I think it is showing benefits. We are getting some better quality players coming in. We're way behind the eight ball though. That is the yeah. problem. Yeah, I think there's improvement, but it's still like... I still, I still question, like, I think Tristan Blackman has worked out and been good, but I feel like the fact that they didn't go harder on a, you know, um, a Johnston is, is mind-boggling to see that they didn't go after both those players, especially because they keep on talking publicly about how much they, I mean, they have more gam than they know what to do with, you know, yeah. like. It, now, I, I personally think they were, they were uh, denied by Johnston. I think Johnston probably wanted to play with, uh, I, I saw in the halftime show that he was big friends with Kamal Miller. And I think he just wanted to play on the East Coast. I I, I agree that I think Johnson would have been their first choice. And I think they probably, if they could, they would have gone after him. But I think he, they were denied. Okay, so forget about Johnson then. I think there's just more players that they have the resources to go after. Oh, yeah. Don't. For sure. Because, because and this, well, Let me mention ask- Shin Yashiki that went this week as well. I, we spoke, like when he was a free agent, we spoke last year. I said, oh, he's a guy I'd love to have in, but yeah. maybe it would be difficult having him and Ryan Gold in the same team. If he was going to go for what he went for, go for the guy you've got this money. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I've heard some people ask about that. Uh, I think, and I don't know, I forget the the Tam Gam, whatever, but one of the things that that funny money is used use for is to buy down players like salaries and cap hits yes. so it doesn't have to come out of the owner's pockets so that's why it's good for them to have lots of you know gam and tam which i know goes into that conversation you don't want to dive deep in on michael but um yeah it, it, it i mean yeah it, it, their their squad building has been ex- like absolutely inferior to what seattle has yeah. their approaches have been just to kind of round this bit off I've avoided deliberately talking about money because that has been an issue and there's no getting around that. In the early years of the Whitecaps, the Whitecaps did not spend. We were way behind. We were way off. And you've got a meeting at supporters where Jeff Malik 
said, look, we're going to be in the, the top third of spending. We're going to do that. And it's taken a while, and folk wonder where the Fonzie money went. Um, Glass City put out a great tweet exactly mm. detailing where it's been spent on transfer fees in recent years. And th- these are players that are, are decent players and they've come at a cost. So the club are spending money now. But the problem for me is the foundations have been so poor up to this point that spending money just isn't enough. You can't just throw money at this. And then you, you get hit by injuries like this as well. And because you've not got a... This is the thing with Seattle. If Seattle lose players, they've got such solid foundations and a good squad depth that they can count on some guys. I'll, I'll disagree with you just a tinge, Michael. Money would help if you would actually spend... Like, all, all those guys, yeah, they're what all... Other than Cavo, like $3 million or less, right? What you what they paid on transfer fees. But it's... If they would actually have a like if they if they use three DP spots where they were actually paying like a player, if they were if they were getting a player who was worth the salary of two to four million dollars a year and they had three of those, I think that would be quite a different story for them. Yeah. Well, I'm not talking about being stupid like TFC and splashing all that cash on one Italian guy that might light the league up and be magnificent. Or might not. And then you've spent a lot of money on a guy that's having the same output as a guy that you could have got for maybe a tenth of the price or something. Let's finish this off. And I I, I think I know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Steve, do you think the Whitecaps will close that gap to Seattle enough to really be challengers and really be seen as local rivals to this team? Not without new ownership. Actually, I said that was going to be the last thing. That was something I meant to mention. There's a, a an article in MLS Soccer today, and I referenced this on the, the pregame show with, with Corey, that said Real Salt Lake's re-energised after new ownership. And I couldn't help but read that and think, oh, I know it wasn't a happy way that the new ownership came about, but oh, to have new owners that would re-energize the team. It would be nice, Zach. Yeah, I think people here are just afraid that there won't be a local owner or it'll yeah. be a local owner they don't like. Well, and... I don't care if it's a local owner or not, as long as they keep the team in Vancouver. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> if it's not a local owner, then the, the fear is that it won't be here anymore, right? So that's what that's what many people are afraid of. Which and this is... happened to Vancouver in the past. Yeah, yeah, which is so it's all totally understandable, but... Yeah, I, I'm. Do you see them closing the gap anytime soon? No, anytime soon. No. Well, let's say within five years. Oh, five well, years? No, not 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 even a chance. I mean, I, I thought five well, years, maybe three. No. One other element. One other element. Just to just to briefly mention, Michael is in in addition to the whole picnic comment and and their you know Vancouver thing. It was going to be easy to develop the culture. Is is Seattle the way Seattle works with their supporters? You, you as as much as the I, have issue, I have some issues with some of their supporters. Uh, they uh, they have done really well, and I know in some for some people it seems like uh, um, it's not that meaningful or whatever. But the the council and stuff and the way they have it set up with the supporter voice into the club and the the vote stuff that they have for the GM or whatever, uh, like. I, it is um it has shaped their it has shaped their club and it's the relationship that they have with supporters i mean you look at the this is an organ this is an organization that said hey we we our supporters do this thing tifo really well 
why don't we, we can make some money off this. Let's do a corporate TIFO with an airline. And they thought it was a great idea. And so they went out and, and they went out and publicly went out and did it or tried to do it. And the supporters said, you, this is offside. This, this is not how this works. And what did they do? They publicly held up their hand and said, we got this wrong. We were going to try and make money off this. We apologize. This is no longer going to happen because it goes against the values of our supporters and how they support. And like the, the, the Vancouver owners and executives and front office um, in maybe now things are a little bit different, but um, in the past you wouldn't, there's never been a, uh, a moment where they would like to own up to the fact that they made a mistake anywhere. And, um, and that made the, the, those relationships very, very hard. And that's why you always hear these stories from people who were involved in those things that uh, made supporting the club very difficult for so many people um, over the, over the course of the MLS era. So. And, I, and, and that, uh, Michael, you were talking about, you know, new ownership being refreshing. I remember there was a time when I was like, basically refreshed and it was and i'm i'm I drawing a complete blank on the name but it was the, the it was the president they brought in that only lasted Tennis. half a season Tennis. Tennis, that's it oh, thank you yes and 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 and, and exactly you were saying that nobody held a hand he was the one guy that yes. did hold up his hand yes. and that's what was refreshing about him yeah and yeah. and 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 they let, let him go within six months or whatever it was they, they didn't let that him was go they didn't let him go they got rid of him yeah, basically, his honesty out of town. and his approach was too much of a threat to them and who they are. And yeah, I, I'll just finish this section off by saying, in terms of the council in Seattle, what you want is the football team to matter to supporters. Yes, you want supporters to feel that they belong to the club and the club is theirs and that they they have a say and they've got. They're more than just a commodity. They're more than yes. just a number, a bum in a seat. And in some regards, maybe the alliance is a little bit of a token thing, but it does make people have a sense of belonging. And I think clubs around MLS, clubs around the world, the supporters have that a little bit more than I think we have in Vancouver. So that is a start that they need to work on. I will finish by on a positive, though, and say yes. I think the, the club are showing signs of yeah. change, yep. good change, much needed change, way overdue change. There's some good people running the ship just now. And Nikos Overhill, what he brings to the team, the scouting department, what they bring, Axel doesn't take any shit. Um, sometimes you might hear him in interviews and you might think, oh, I don't know how strong a, a leader he is. He is a strong leader and he does not take any shit from, from people at the club. Jeff Mallet, as an owner want success for this club, I do wonder how much his hands are tied to to get the success well, that he's wanting. Well, he's not the majority owner. That is, yeah. That's and I thing. think I think today proved, Michael, that not everything is crap for the Whitecaps. Not everything is. That is it, though, for our Whitecaps chat. It's nearly it for our show. We're going to have a short part four coming up, but we're going to look around a little bit around the list of Canadian soccer. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, this is Andy Rose, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Celebrate your mother. Yeah, celebrate your father. And he's keeping with your sister. 
Welcome back to the AFTM Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our special song for Mother's Day. That's the, the night that we are recording this. It's from 2002, a Brighton band, 80s matchbox beeline disaster, with a, a song from the debut album, Horse of the Dog. It was their second single called Celebrate Your Mother. And there was a lot of celebration from the, the White Caps on Mother's Day today. That was the 80s Matchbox Beatline Disaster, a band I really should feature more often on the show. I've played them a couple of times. So in this part, we're going to look a little bit around the rest of Canadian soccer at a lower league level. Because League 1 BC, as I mentioned, kicks off in two weeks. Three games kick it off on May 22nd. And we've announced two partnerships so far for AFTN. We're going to be the commentators for the North Vancouver-based side Altitude FC. Gideon and myself are going to be calling all their men's and women's games this year in the inaugural League 1 BC season. Really looking forward to to working with Altitude. Fally, that runs the the team there, he's got the Fally Academy and FC Fally in the Fraser Valley League. He's a great coach, Fally Bassey. Read my, my coach's kind of analysis that I did of all their histories on AFTN. He brings a, a European approach to training. I've spoken to some players that are training with him just now and they're loving the, the attitude at the club and just the vibe at the club and the training there. I think they could be some of the, the surprise horses in the the men's side, particularly in League One BC this year, a lot of exciting talent coming through Altitude. So looking forward to working with them. We're also we just announced it before we went uh, recording the show tonight. Going to be the commentators with Varsity FC. Varsity FC are affiliated with UBC Thunderbirds, and AFTN do provide the the broadcasting for the men and the women's UBC Thunderbirds soccer teams in Canada West. So continuing that partnership with Mike Mosher and Jesse Simons, Gideon and myself are going to be calling the men's and women's matches for Varsity FC as well. Well, there'll be some more partnerships to announce. Stay tuned this week because, yes, there should be. I I don't think that's too hard to, to work out as to who that might be. We're not going to Kamloops or Victoria. Let's just say that there and then. But we're going to look around some other stuff and continue in the League One chat. There was an announcement this week that we've got League One Ontario, we've got League One BC, and we've got the PLSQ out in Quebec that is going to get rebranded in 2023. Whether that will be League One Quebec, I don't know. But in amongst all that, uh, there's a big gap in the middle of the country. And it's a much needed place to get a League One in the prairies. So folk have thought, will there be a League One prairies coming? Well, there was an announcement made this week. Calgary Foothills on their Twitter page announced that League One prairies could be on the horizon. Now, it looks like it could be called Central League One. And basically, the press release that Calgary put out say that there's going to be a series of exhibition matches taking place this summer between three Alberta-based sides, Calgary Foothills being one of them, and also Edmonton Scottish, so obviously 
I will be cheering them on. They're under the helm of Jeff Paulus now, former FC Edmonton manager. FC Manitoba will be taking part in this as well. And these teams have played a series of friendly matches in recent years. The Whitecaps have played them at under-23 level. FC Tigers played some games against them as well. But this is a much-needed part of the, the football pyramid. The, the They need to get these teams in a League One Central League One Prairies, whatever you want to to call it. The thinking is that they're calling it Central League One because the likelihood is that you're going to be getting uh, a Winnipeg side in and probably Thunder Bay as well. So they don't want to call it Prairies because obviously Thunder Bay is in Ontario. As I learned from you guys, it's a long way from Toronto. I now know that and I have never forgotten that. Michael, I haven't done a ton of reading on this yet, but... There's not a lot of info out there, to be honest. I just, I it's just weird because this is the same or essentially some or some of the same people who are trying to get their own quote unquote division two. Yes, that was what I was going to mention as well. There had been murmurs there was going to be a Canadian soccer league, national league, Canadian national league. It was going to be, which was going to be like a div two thing that just yeah. didn't get the sanctioning at the moment from Canada Soccer because they just wanted more information about the clubs and the plans, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So these people calling themselves, if the, if my understanding of it is correct, and these people are calling themselves Central League One because they want to get status with the CSA, I wonder how much their previous attempts will hinder their like being recognized. I don't know because I mean foothills have a like foothills no, are, yeah. intended a very solid footing, and Edmonton yeah. Scottish do as well, and FC Manitoba have got but, a, a lot of things in the going. If Thunder Bay's well, got a track record in USL, were foothills um, involved in the? They were involved in the the D two attempt thing, right? I think so. Scottish, I know, were for sure. Yeah, but, uh, um, yeah, and a couple just, of other clubs. Yeah, I just I just know sometimes when I. <laughs> people in these things can be kind of vindictive. And so if you've tried to go against the grain in the past, it could hit, it could cause problems for you going forward, but hopefully, hopefully not. And yeah. hopefully well, I mean, is- going back to what Tommy Wilden said when I was speaking to him about the need for this is like, look, either support us or just get out of our way and let us do it because they need this. Foothills need this league to play in. And they've been such a bright spark for Canadian soccer in recent years, and they've done so much. And Edmonton Scottish are a really good, solid club, and they've taken pl- part in a number of the Challenge trophies over the years and and stuff as well. So initially for this year, there's going to be like 8 to 12 games between the four teams, showcasing them before the league gets underway next year. Now, Colin Elms was part of a Twitter conversation with me where we're talking about this, and he says the only thing to be careful for is unlike the League One and like League One BC, there is no kind of business plan necessarily needing to get put forward to get your team accepted to be part of this with vetting and everything under the current plans. So don't take it that this is going to be like League One BC and League One Ontario. They still have a lot of work to do to get that yeah. that sanctioning and stuff. But it's positive steps. I'm very excited for it. And it's definitely mm-hmm. what, the, what the prairies and, and around that area need right now. The Born to Be Soccer Academy, are they? is that in Edmonton? Yeah. Now, Born, I love them. Okay. They have done so much. I was researching them when I was doing a piece for the, the Whitecaps to get to know your players. 
Joshua and Akala came through with them. And they have done so much and they have had to fight with the Alberta Soccer Association to, to get to where they are because a complaint came in that was kind of unwarranted by the signs of it and they really had to fight tooth and nail because they lost their sanctioning. But they've brought so many players in and the Whitecaps are working with them now and bringing players from them into the Whitecaps Edmonton Academy. They are such a bright light of the soccer scene in Edmonton that there's a really interesting three-part documentary up on YouTube on them. I highly recommend that people check that out. Hmm. Interesting. But exciting times for Canadian soccer. Just glad that we are a part of it and we've got a weekly show where we're talking about it. That is pretty much it, though, for this episode. But we can't finish off, of course, without bringing you this week's Wavelength. And it's Football Violence Awareness Month. And we're going to actually have a song that is a cover of a song that we've played in an earlier Football Violence Awareness Month. This is a, a punk band from Philadelphia. They're called Dive in the Box. And this is their cover version of a song by a Falkirk band from Scotland. Skinhead band from the 80s called Skin Deep. We played their version of this song on the show before. This is Dive in the Box version. It's simply called Football Violence. Dive in the box there from Philadelphia with a cover of the song Football Violence rounding off our show this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. I think we've had a lot of good chat. I've really enjoyed this one. Before we go, any final thoughts? Anything that you learned this week? And where can folk find you online, Steve? Well, you can find me on Twitter, WhitecapSpeed. I want to just give a couple of shout-outs. A couple of uh, Canadian national team members became champions this weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesse Fleming in England with Chelsea. And Julia Grosso with Juventus 17 in uh, Syria. Uh, And then um, the thing I learned is, um, I think, best-case scenario uh, with Val against Valor. Uh, Valor goal gets called back, uh, controversial. Whitecaps win. That way, Valor has something to complain about, thinking they should have won the game, and the Whitecaps advance. And no VAR. 
Yeah. Well, actually, I'm saying no VAR. I'm not 100% sure about that. No, I don't, I don't think it's VAR. Mm. My guess. Mm. Zach, any final thoughts from you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ZacharyM. Uh, things continue to uh, heat up in terms of the development of uh, the uh, CPL Vancouver 2023 team playing out of the Langley Event Center. If you want to be involved in, uh, in shaping that, uh, be in touch, fvfanatics at gmail.com or fvfanatics on Twitter. Very excited for that. Very excited for all football at the moment that, that is going on. I, I spoke earlier in the show in part two, the Provincial Cup final is this coming Sunday. The A Cup final is at Swan Guard, three o'clock kickoff. The women go at 12 in the women's A Cup final. Saturday at Burnaby Lake, there's going to be an absolutely cracking B Cup game. It's a 12.45 kickoff, so you can get to that and then get down to BC Place for the Whitecaps game as well. It's Guildford FC, who I've seen three of their matches so far in the early rounds, play some lovely football. They're taking on VUFC Snipers in the B Cup final. If you want to get into local football, these games, get out and see them. The game on Sunday between BB5 and FC Tigers is going to be a fantastic game. Got to say that. It, it was a lot of fun to uh, yeah. hang out with you for a half and uh, extra uh, both periods of extra time when you came up for the game. Uh, yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, Zach came along to the game in Abbotsford. That was uh, last weekend because we didn't have the guys on the show last weekend. It was great you getting out there. I think you enjoyed it as well. Oh, yeah. Did did, uh, did our uh, chat or commentary make any of the video clips? I haven't watched. I, I did have to cut some bits out. <laughs> I I believe it. Yes, we are still doing our intro for broadcasting on CITR Radio, but there's been some technical issues at the station at the moment with getting the shows entered onto the system and stuff like that. So since the shows have been going up on CITR a week on delay. I haven't sent the last couple through, so this may or may not go out on air next weekend, but we'll we'll see if they get all their issues sorted by then. But of course, you're listening to us in the podcast, so you don't care about any of that. But I am Michael McCall. Give me a follow on Twitter at AFT in Canada. Like, subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFT in Canada, because that's where you will find all our Provincial Cup videos that I've been shooting. I've been a very busy boy of late. There's a lot of videos up there. Thank you, as always, for supporting the site. Thank you for reading everything and interacting with us on Twitter. We really enjoy these chats. We hope you've enjoyed this show. We will be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care, mon the caps, and most of all, get out and support local soccer. Bye, everyone. Thank Thank you, Michael Michael. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
E F